Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hears from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome to Brain Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com, where smart happens. Hi, I'm Marshall Brain, and it is time once again for the Friday News Roundup, where we feature some of the most interesting science and technology articles of the week. If you were to pick the thing that has the probability of having the most effect on humanity in the future, it would probably be IBM's demonstration of a graphene transistor running at an impossible to imagine 155 gigahertz. If a CPU could clock at that speed, it would be roughly 50 times faster than the typical CPU chip available today. 
that's quite unlikely because the clock speed of a chip is a lot more complicated than the speed of one transistor and these transistors are more designed for radios rather than for you know computing kinds of applications but even so if you could take graphene and get even a 2x or a 4x speed up so you know a chip running at 10 gigahertz or 20 gigahertz that would be impressive given that speed increases have pretty much stalled at 3 gigahertz for several years we'll have to see where ibm and other manufacturers take this but it appears possible that graphene or some derivative thereof could be the thing that replaces silicon over the next decade if you go to interesting reading number 727 you can get details on these new transistors but if I were to pick the thing this week that has the coolest buzz factor, that would have to be a guy talking about building a life-size functional AT-AT. Yes, an AT-AT. This is the all-terrain armored transport that came out in the Empire Strikes Back film. You remember in the Hoth scene at the beginning of the film, there's this ice planet and these giant walkers are walking across the ice to destroy the rebel base and the power reactor or whatever it was. The idea being that these walkers can somehow handle terrain that's, you know, rough and, and complex much better than a wheeled vehicle could. So let's ignore the obvious, like, kind of silliness of such a tall vehicle that's connected to such a narrow chassis, especially since the legs in the film appear to have little or no sideways mobility to handle tipping over. But, you know, these design problems have no effect on the utter mind-blowing power of the machines when you saw them in the film, especially when you saw them for the first time in theaters. It was just an amazing spectacle. So building a real one and having it walk around would be a triumph. There's a guy named Mike Kohler who's hoping to raise money for the project on Kickstarter. If you Google interesting reading number 728, you can you can read more about it. There's an interview with him there. Speaking of legs, there is a female double-leg amputee who's making lemonade out of lemons. She, um, you know, as I said, is a double-leg amputee, so that's the, the lemon part. But she's able to now don a prosthesis that turns her into a mermaid. The prosthesis combines her two stumps into a single tail for swimming, and she swims so well that she would like to compete, but obviously this would have to be a new category of competition since, you know, normal people who are in swimming competitions aren't wearing fins or tails or anything else currently. So we'll have to see how this develops. If you Google interesting reading number 727, you can read more about her story. We all have lithium-ion batteries in things like our cell phones, our iPods, our iPads, our cameras, and our laptops. How could we get the most life and power from these batteries? Because they are expensive, and we do use these devices a lot. It would be nice if the batteries could last as long as possible. So Popular Mechanics studied this question and has four recommendations. First, a lithium-ion battery prefers an intermediate state of charge. That is, given a choice, it would last longest if it is not ever fully charged to its maximum voltage and if it's not ever fully drained down to you know, no charge left on the battery. Those two conditions can shorten the life of the battery by quite a bit. The second tip is, you know, following on that, to avoid full charges and full discharges at any time but the number of cycles if you're at an intermediate charge is irrelevant so you know if you charge it 
three times a day to keep it at an intermediate charge, that's okay. The, the number of times it comes on and off the charger is not relevant. Then number three is something we probably already knew. Heat and cold are bad for lithium-ion batteries, as they are for a lot of other batteries. And also, you don't want to keep lithium-ion batteries constantly on a charger, because for one, that keeps them at this fully charged level, which is bad, and for another, it, it adds heat. So, if all of this is true, and really there's no reason to believe that it's not, it makes you wonder why all these tricks aren't built into chargers already. Like, why would a charger take a battery up to full charge if that's bad for the battery? But, you know, we have to wait, I guess, for these chargers that are smart enough to avoid these problems. So if you want to learn more about this, you can go to Interesting Reading 725 to get the details. It really is a pretty fascinating article. Speaking of making things last longer, there was a story in Interesting Reading 725 where a Z28 Camaro with the sticker still on the window and just a few miles on the odometer had been left in a sort of time capsule and then got pulled out of hibernation more than 20 years later. Except for a lot of dust, it appeared to be in pristine shape, which might suggest that if you're going to do your own time capsule with a car in it, you might want to invest in one of those fabric car covers and put it over the car before you stuff it in the box or the trailer or whatever you're going to store your time capsule in. Anyway, it was you know a fun video to see them pull the car out, and they had done a nice job of preserving the the seats with plastic and and stuff so it was it was a neat little thing to see but that brings up a great point if you are going to buy a car today and save it for the future yourself and you want it to hold its value what car should you buy so you know you don't want to buy a car that people are going to look at as junk in 20 or 30 years you want to pick a good car and so there's this article in interesting reading number 726 that explores this question the article recommends you know the obvious stuff like keeping the car pretty much exactly uh, as this time capsule car was kept you buy the car it has very low mileage if you can leave the sticker on the window that's great because it shows you you know exactly what's on the car and how much it exactly costs you want to have all original equipment on the car. You want it to be in mint condition. But what kind of car should you pick? And this is where it gets very strange, at least with the first car in the list, because it's the PT Cruiser. And I would never have picked that particular car as one that would be valuable in the future. But apparently because of its body style and so on, it has the potential to... Uh, really hold its value. Then you go down through the list and the rest of them are a lot more obvious than that, including things like the Dodge Viper and the Plymouth Prowler and the BMW Z3 and even the Chevy Volt, which I you know, thought was interesting. Of course, the Volt is in there because it's unlikely that anyone will ever own one. They're making so few of them. And I actually went to the Chevy dealer here in Raleigh and asked about the Volt. And apparently, if it even ever makes it to North Carolina, it would be in something like 2012, maybe. The dealer was really sketchy on whether he would ever have Chevy Volts on his lot. So anyway, if you want to see all the recommendations, Google interesting reading number 726. Everyone knows what skyscrapers look like today. 
you know, they all have these different embellishments to make them a little different from the others, sure, but they're all pretty much tall, thin, tower-like buildings. So what is the skyscraper of the future going to look like? And a magazine called Evolo had a competition, and some of the designs that came out of that competition are mind-blowing because most of the designs look nothing like skyscrapers look today. Many of them don't even scrape the sky. They are much squatter and, and flatter, but immense. And, you know, They spread out instead of necessarily going up. And you can have complete communities inside a single structure with these things. It really is interesting to look at the pictures from the competition because many of them are quite, quite unexpected. So if you Google interesting reading number 728 and look for the article on the future of skyscrapers, you can go through those pictures and see what's coming down the road in terms of skyscrapers. Some of these skyscrapers could house what might be the latest in farming technology. More and more farming is moving indoors, and lettuce is the most important example currently. Much of the lettuce grown today is grown indoors because the process of growing it indoors cuts down on all sorts of problems. And because lettuce is a pretty quick crop, it doesn't take long for it to go from seed to maturity, relatively speaking. So in interesting reading number 727, there's an article on future farms where more and more of this ends up happening, and every single thing, including the lighting, the temperature, the humidity, everything is under human control, so the plants grow optimally. This, uh, to me, is a little hard to imagine, especially on the lighting, because lighting is pretty expensive. You know, not only do you have to buy the fixture and the bulb, but then you have to pump electricity into it, and plants need a lot of light. They need bright, bright light to do their thing. Whether this completely comes to pass or not is is open to question, but the indoor part is definitely understandable on most vegetable crops. Grains, I would expect, like wheat and corn, will be grown outdoors well into the future. But the indoor farming of vegetables seems very likely. So if you go and Google Interesting Reading 727, you can learn more about the future of farms. Scientists, engineers, and inventors are known for experimentation. They are out on the cutting edge, and they do experiments to discover what will work and what won't work. Some of these experiments do work out, some don't, and then some are horrific, horrific failures. So this week there's an article entitled 15 Bizarre Experiments Gone Tragically Wrong, and it has 15 experiments that fall into that terrible, horrible category. There are several that you would expect to find if you're, you know, if you're up on your weird human scientific experiments, psychology experiments like the Stanford Prison Guard experiment that show how truly awful human beings can be when left in peculiar situations. There are also some medical experiments from the era where apparently experimental doctors had no ethics. There's the token aviation experiment that, you know, ended in death, as many aviation experiments did in the early years, and even, you know, some today. And then there's the truly weird stuff, a couple of which I had never even heard of. So if you go to interesting reading number 728, you can learn more about these bizarre experiments. It was a pretty interesting read. One article that got a lot of hits this week is the BrainStuff article on the Wave Disk Engine. This engine design is coming out of Michigan State University and has gotten two and a half million dollars in federal funding to you know bring it from the um, 
you know, the not even a prototype, but just sort of an idea stage into a reality stage. It is a completely unconventional design like nothing I have ever seen before. And the claims are amazing, like 60% efficiency. This would be three to four times more efficient than the typical piston engine of today, which, you know, might get 15 to 20% efficiency out of the gasoline that goes into it. So this wave disc engine would be a huge deal if this engine really pans out at a 60% efficiency. Even if it panned out at a 40% efficiency, that would double the efficiency today, and that would be amazing. So one thing about this engine is it's a fixed RPM turbine-like design, and that means it would likely be running a fixed-load electrical generator or something like that in a hybrid vehicle. But, you know, when I look at this, I am I am pretty skeptical. The articles that have been published so far on the wave disk engine have been very high on hype and very low on details of how this engine is going to actually work. So, if you read the articles, we're supposed to actually see a working model of this engine by the end of 2011, and we'll get to see if it lives up to all the expectations fairly quickly. If you Google BrainStuff Wave Disk Engine, you can learn more about the engine and some of you know my thoughts on whether or not this might work. I am going to be fascinated to see what happens when the when the first real engines come out, and I I really hope that I'm wrong, but I I'm quite skeptical at the moment. There was a story about Mythbusters, in particular about Jamie Heineman this week, and his work with the U.S. government to develop better armor for vehicles that will protect them from explosives like IEDs and mines that are embedded in roads. The idea is to make much lighter armor. So if you look at some of the current designs for armor on vehicles, they already show a fair amount of creativity. There's, of course, heavy steel plating, and sometimes that plating is glued or stickered onto thinner sheet metal to provide a quick fix, uh, a, you know, a quick layer of extra armor. For example, on Humvees, there are some V-bottom vehicles where the V-shape tries to deflect the blast waves away from the vehicle after the blast. So instead of coming right up through the bottom of the vehicle, the blast waves are, are blown outward. There's something called reactive armor that explodes when something like an RPG hits it to blow the grenade away from the vehicle. So it'll be interesting to see what Jamie comes up with. If you Google interesting reading 728, you can read more about his thoughts on armor design. And finally, there's head tracking. If you've seen the demos of any of the head tracking displays, the results are spectacular. And, you know, they've been around for several years. The displays we're used to looking like don't do any head tracking at all. They work more like paintings. When you move your head, it has no effect on the screen. A head tracking display is instead like the window of a building. As you move your head around, the view of the window changes. So if you walk closer to a window, you see more. If you walk further back, you see a, a narrower range. If you walk up close to the window and look out to the left, there's actually you know a lot more stuff you can see out to the left and so on. A window works a lot different from a painting. So people have been you know goofing around with head tracking for... I don't know, three or four or five years. And amazingly, even though it's such a cool looking thing, it's never made it into a widely used application. So now there's an iPad 2 application that uses the iPad's FaceTime camera to implement head tracking, you know, 
inexpensively, obviously, basically for free because the camera's already there. And maybe this will be the version that breaks through. This is, you know, it's an application that really deserves the limelight because it is cool when you see it in action. So if you Google interesting reading number 726, you can get a discussion and a video demonstration. So that's it for this week. If you'd like to get more details on these topics or about a 100 others, you can Google interesting reading number 725, 726, 727, 728, and 729 for details. Until next time, have a great weekend. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And don't forget to check out the BrainStuff blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. You can also follow BrainStuff on Facebook or Twitter at BrainStuffHSW. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.